Yes, I've said this many times before. Just when we think we've got our hands on some kind of concept, here comes a new guideline and poof, something else is going to change. But that's okay. That's okay. Because that actually is one of the exciting things about women's health. That it's alive, it's evolving, it's moving, it's changing, it's adapting. And it's not stagnant. I mean, how boring would it be, right? Well, first of all, as a podcaster, I'd have nothing to talk about. (laughs) So I'm excited that there's always some new updates because that just means that we're learning more and we can do better for our patients. In September 2023, the ACOG is going to release a new clinical guidance regarding hepatitis in pregnancy. Again, this is coming out September 2023. In this episode, I want to focus on some key changes regarding hepatitis B viral infection as it relates to pregnancy. Yeah, we're going to touch a little bit on hepatitis C just to give it uh, some love, give it some limelight because we can't forget hepatitis C. But the big focus on this episode is going to be the highlighted changes, again, as of September 2023, coming to hepatitis B in pregnancy. All right, so if you're thinking, hey, Choppa, nice try, I get that. We already get hepatitis B service antigen on everyone. And my response is, fantastic, that's half the game. Yeah, there's other things to consider. So not only are we going to do a quick review on hepatitis B viral infection and what kind of antigens are involved and what do the tests mean, we're going to go through the new national recommendation. This isn't just about ACOG. This is a national recommendation that every adult 18 years of age or more should have at least once in a lifetime. We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about the criteria for offering antiviral medication for hepatitis B in pregnancy. All right. That's very different than hepatitis C, of which there's no medical protocol that's recommended for use during gestation. But we're going to talk about when medical therapy is allowed and when it's indicated in pregnancy. All right. So let's cover updated rules for hepatitis B viral infection in pregnancy right now. If your first thought is, wait a minute, hepatitis B, isn't that like old news? I mean, we know about it. We screen for it. It's a done deal. What could possibly be the guideline? Well, the update is actually not from ACOG originally at all. I mean, ACOG is on the heels of a new national recommendation. We're going to cover that in a minute. But ACOG is just realigning its recommendation to align with another organization's, which, of course, we're talking about the CDC. We're going to talk about all that in a minute. But this is nothing new. This actually goes back to 1990. The Perinatal Hepatitis B Prevention Program started in 1990 by the CDC as a way to help prevent transmission of hepatitis B from infected mothers to their infants. This also included the idea that babies born to hepatitis B surface antigen positive mothers would receive a combination of hepatitis B vaccine and HBIG within 12 hours of birth, and that's still valid today. But again, this is nothing new. Look, we've been doing this since 1990. So why the change? Well, the answer to that, why this update, really isn't an ACOG thing at all. ACOG is just coming under the recommendation 
from the CDC. You see, back on March the 10th, 2023, you see, back on March the 10th, 2023, the CDC released their updated screening and testing for hepatitis B viral infection guidelines. And in this update from March, the CDC actually changed a couple of things to try to meet their goal of a reduction in overall hepatitis B infection and mortality by the year 2025. Now, to be honest, yes, we are definitely as a country going towards that goal. Okay, the number of severe morbidity and mortality has been steadily decreasing every year. But for the last two to three years, it's really kind of stalled a little bit, still moving in the right direction. But it is definitely not going at a pace that that it was expected to remember the goal is to have a benchmark reduction by the year 2025 in severe morbidity and mortality from chronic hepatitis B. So the CDC did make some changes to the recommendations. So ACOG is now coming in line under those recommendations. Okay, so here's the CDC's stance, all right? So the CDC does remind us that chronic hepatitis B infection still, even in 2023, still leads to substantial morbidity and mortality. And although treatment is not considered curative, antiviral treatment, monitoring, and liver cancer surveillance can absolutely reduce morbidity and mortality from this viral infection. So there's a couple of caveats here and nuances that we can't forget, especially for those who are getting ready to take their uh, to take their ABOG oral boards. All right. First, there is treatment for hepatitis B viral infection in pregnancy, and we're going to go over those guidelines. But it is not curative. However, hepatitis C does have curative therapy with direct-acting antivirals. However, they're not recommended for use during pregnancy. Everybody good? See the little change there? So hepatitis B, yes, you can absolutely use medications to treat it in pregnancy, although it's not curative. However, for hepatitis C, there is medication that is curative, but you can't use it in pregnancy. All right, so get those boxes settled. Hepatitis B, you're good. If you meet criteria, here's your meds, uh, but it's not going to cure you. Hepatitis C, yes, there's meds. It can cure you, but you need to take that either before you get pregnant, that's the ideal, or after, so not in gestation. See, this is why MOC is good, maintenance of certification. I know there's this big move right now based on certain disciplines like the American Board of Internal Medicine. They're like, oh, we shouldn't do MOC. It's useless. It doesn't prove anything. Um, I kind of like the MOC. I mean, it keeps you current. Um, you get to see what's out there for new data. I'm all for it. I'm also in academic medicine, so I'm a little biased. But why wouldn't you want to be up to date? Wouldn't you want your practitioner, your 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 doctor, your physician, your midwife, your whatever PA to be up to date? I think that's a good thing. But th- the reason that we keep up to date is to remind us of these things that we forget. Like, oh, hepatitis B, what's the big deal? Most of those people get, you know, that stuff gets cleared anyway. And yes, like 90% of hepatitis B infection in adults can be cleared. But it's that one little group where it doesn't clear that's the big problem. And this is why it's important to to keep these reminders and for the CDC to put this out in these benchmarks like reduction in morbidity and mortality by 2025. These are good things to have. Chronic hepatitis B is still 
still, according to the CDC, a silent killer. And the reason that it is, is because many people living with it have absolutely no idea that they have it. They have no symptoms and they're not aware of their infection, okay? So that's why this whole push towards more universal screening and better screening, not just hepatitis B surface antigen, uh, is necessary. And, And here's the other issue. If an individual doesn't know that they have hepatitis B, then it can actually cause them even more problems like hepatocellular carcinoma or reactivation of infection should they ever have uh, immunotherapy for something else or if they have hepatitis C infection and they get treatment for that, that can reactivate silent hepatitis B. So it's just good to know what you have. So just because you feel good doesn't mean you shouldn't get checked. I mean, it's important to get checked for Everything is part of health maintenance. So chronic hepatitis B is a big deal. It still causes significant morbidity and mortality. And this is why there's this move for updated universal screening guidelines. Of course, we'll post the link to the CDC's updated guidance from March in our reference list. But this is also covered in JAMA Network Open. On March the 10th, 2023, they have their their synopsis and a lot of data regarding this impact of silent uh, chronic hepatitis B, uh, again, in JAMA. And the title is Universal Adult Hepatitis B Screening and Vaccination as the Path to Elimination. And you can uh, find that reference on our reference list as well. Now, back to the CDC guidance, in these new recommendations, they include hepatitis B screening using a three-panel lab test, all right? So, yes, now there's a triple test for hepatitis B. Now, we're going to explain this specifically in pregnancy, but remember, we're talking about the CDC as a national platform. Their thing is, hey, you should really do the triple screen for hepatitis B at least once during a lifetime for all adults aged 18 years or more or more frequently based on risk factors, okay? So at least once to do a hepatitis B triple screen. And we're going to go over what that triple screen screen is because that does apply even to pregnancy. Now, and we're going to get into well, who gets just hepatitis B surface antigen and then who gets the triple screen. We're going to explain that. But the CDC's report also expands risk-based testing to include very specific populations here, okay? This includes people, of course, who have been incarcerated or formerly incarcerated, other detention uh, facility uh, occupants. It includes persons with a history of STIs or multiple sexual partners and people that have hepatitis C infection. So remember, we do a lot of STI screening in our population uh, because I have a predominantly uh, young adult and college-age population, and they come in all the time for STI screening. That's fantastic. But everybody gets locked into, okay, I'm going to check you for gonorrhea and chlamydia, trichomonas, which is absolutely correct, and then HIV and RPR. All that's totally legit. But we can't forget that hepatitis B and hepatitis C are in that category. So to do complete STI screening, we need to to do three things. Number one, ask what kind of sex they're having, because if they're not having penile vaginal sex and it's all oral sex what good is it to check the vagina you're checking the wrong place (laughs) or are they having uh, anal receptive sex where potentially that could be checked as a reservoir so you got to ask where are you having sex and you've got to be comfortable with that Second, don't just get fixated on gonorrhea, chlamydia, and trick or HIV and RPR. Those are great to check, but you've got to expand that to include hepatitis B and hepatitis C. Because remember, as we've just stated, the CDC 
does include those with a history of STIs uh, to include them in screening. And part of that history of STI is part of STI screening uh, uh, evaluation. So expanded to include hepatitis B and hepatitis C. Oh, and speaking about hepatitis C, sex is not the predominant mode of transmission for hep C. It is still the principal risk factor for hep C is still intravenous drug use. And of course, remember that we win this battle against hepatitis B, not just by screening, but also by vaccinating. So the CDC has always held that the hepatitis B vaccine should be given to all infants and all children or adolescents younger than 19 who have not been vaccinated, as well as all adults age 19 through 59 and adults age 60 or older with risk factors or without risk factors. Well, so you got infants, you got children, adolescents to eight, age 19, and then 19 to 59, and then greater than 60. Dang, that's everybody. <laughs> I like how the CDC breaks it up into these boxes. Just go, hey, everybody needs hepatitis B vaccination. But no, hepatitis B vaccine is for infants, for children, adolescents younger than 19, and then from 19 to 59, and then from 60 and above. That's everybody. Just make it simple. For us as women's healthcare providers, this is a big deal because perinatal transmission of hepatitis B still represents, here's the clinical pearl, guys, the single largest cause of chronic infection in individuals worldwide. So for those of you who are listening to us in Australia, same applies. We've got friends listening to us in Israel, same applies. That is worldwide. Perinatal transmission of hepatitis B virus infection is the single largest cause of chronic infection in individuals worldwide. That's crazy. Now, it is true that there are things that we can do to try to prevent that, like universal screening, the simultaneous administration of hepatitis B vaccine and HBIG within 12 hours of birth for uh, the babies whose mothers are hepatitis B service antigen positive. That's a big deal. But nonetheless, uh, we can do better. And ideally, these are identified before pregnancy uh, so that they can take appropriate precautions to bring those levels down. Now, thankfully, the majority of infections with hepatitis B do clear, but it's that small little section, that small little percentage of people who go on to develop chronic infection uh, that have severe morbidity and sequelae, as we've already discussed, okay? So as a quick reminder about risk factors, who is at risk for hepatitis B? Well, because hepatitis B has been detected in a large variety of body fluids, including vaginal fluid and semen, remember that you got two big boxes here, either parenteral activities like IV stuff and bisexual contact. Those are the two big boxes. Individuals at greatest risk of contracting this infection are those who have unprotected sex with multiple partners, those who inject drugs percutaneously, or who have sexual partners who engage in these risk-taking behaviors. Same goes for hepatitis C. Now, for hepatitis C, um, the majority of the transmission is through anal receptive sex, okay? The, the chance of getting hepatitis C through uh, penile vaginal intercourse is a lot lower than uh, penis uh, uh, anal intercourse, okay? So hepatitis C anal intercourse is a big deal. That's why you got to ask, hey, what kind of sex are you having? You got to talk with that with, with your patients. Uh, and it's much less likely uh, with vaginal penile penetration. 
All right, let's get back to the ACOG. Hold on, I lost my page here. I got I got so many screens up, guys. It's just weird. Oh, by the way, this wasn't even what I was supposed to do. Somebody asked a question through our Facebook page about inositol use and PCOS, okay? So myo-inositol, it's a supplement. And I'm like, yeah, that's a great topic. I put somebody, you know, to work on it. I started gathering data and we've got a little preliminary outline. I'm like, oh, this is good stuff. Well, let's do that. And then I was about to do it you know, with this sitting, with this taping right now. And I told the guys, I, 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 I feel bad doing this when there's a new guidance coming out in September. So then my first thing that they told me was, well, then do it in September. I'm like, no, our thing is to do it before it comes out. So anyway, I punted inositol use for PCOS. If you're not familiar with that, I'm not going to spoil it, but some pretty interesting stuff out there. But that's going to be another podcast if I don't get distracted again. But Again, the the reason I'm doing this one now is because we're trying to beat it to the punch. Remember, we're always trying to give you the, the hottest, right-off-the-pressed info. And this is why we're doing this now, even though it's coming out September 2023, officially. Now, it's already released ahead of print uh, to the ACOG body. Uh, so we're sharing it with you guys. So this is Clinical Practice Guidance Number 6, right? And the title is Viral Hepatitis in Pregnancy. It's not just for hepatitis B. It's got a little touch, a little flavor of hepatitis A, which isn't that big of a deal. Hepatitis C, which we're going to summarize super quickly, like in two minutes, because there's not a lot of big news there. But the big focus, uh, again, is on hepatitis B because of the CDC March update and this thing about the triple screen and the the now solidified cutoff of when to offer antiretroviral therapy in pregnancy, okay? Because in the past, it'd been, there was some data confusion and is it this number? Should it be that number? But now ACOG has stuck with a certain viral load and we're going to discuss that in a minute. Yes, hepatitis B surface antigen is still a thing. Totally okay to use that in pregnancy with one caveat. The patient, if they're greater than 18 years of age, should first have somewhere documented at least once in their lifetime the triple test. So if they've hadn't had the trip, hadn't had, if they hadn't had, if they haven't had, Oh, my goodness. See, border English is just killing me. I told you sometimes when my wife says, yeah, we might could. And why would you say that? Hey, we're going to go to, you know, the movies. Yeah, we might could. Oh, my gosh. She's got two mates. She's got two masters, two master's degrees. Uh, and she still says, yeah, we might could. Oh, this is I'm telling you, telling you. Tex-Mex English and Spanish messes up your whole vocabulary. What was I saying? Oh, yes, hepatitis B surface antigen is still a thing, but you can check that once the patient has had at least one documented negative hepatitis B triple screen. And we're going to explain why the triple screen really is legit. It makes a lot of sense, all right? So the triple panel, the triple screen for hepatitis B is hepatitis B surface antigen, that's the traditional, anti-hepatitis B surface antibody, Okay, and total anti-hepatitis B core. We're going to explain all of this, what, what all these antigens and the antibodies mean in just a minute. But that's the triple hepatitis B surface antigen, anti-hepatitis B surface, which is the antibody against hepatitis B surface antigen, and then total anti-hepatitis B core. All right, so one antigen and then two antibodies, the antibody for hepatitis B surface and the antibody, total antibody, which is IgM and IgG, for hepatitis B core, 
Okay, that's the triple. Remember that hepatitis B surface antigen cannot coexist at the same time of anti-hepatitis B surface. So it's one or the other. Because first, right after infection, right, the antigen goes up, that's measurable, and then it goes down and then it's replaced by the antibody against that antigen, which is anti-HBS, okay? So hepatitis B surface antigen is first, and then that goes away, and then anti-HBS pops up. So the triple is the antigen followed by the antibody against it, and then total IgM and IgG, the total antibody for the core, which is anti-HB little c, okay? That's the triple panel. So this is how this is going to play out. Hey, patient X, uh, welcome to our clinic. Thank you for joining us for your prenatal care. Um, you're new to us. Have you ever had the triple screen for hepatitis B? They're going to go, what is that? Well, I got to get one just so we can know that you got it. I checked the box and then every future pregnancy, you'll just get hepatitis B surface antigen. Now, if they're a known patient to you, then you can obviously scroll back and it should be now on, kind of on the front of your labs or on the front of the patient info. Um, that she has had triple screen for hepatitis to be done per CDC criteria once per lifetime. That's it. And then every subsequent pregnancy, you can just use hepatitis B surface antigen. This is, of course, in addition to every pregnancy also screening for hepatitis C. Now, remember that screening for hepatitis C should be done with hepatitis C antibody. So that's the recommendation, okay? ACOG recommends that all patients be screened also for hepatitis C virus antibodies in each pregnancy. Oh my goodness, I had a little weird hiccup there at the end. Did y'all get that? Should I redo that? I'm not going to redo that. Let's just keep that in there. That's, that was weird. I, I don't know what happened. Like at the end of pregnancy, my body had a little weird hiccup. Sorry about that, guys. Okay, when we come back, I need to get some water. I don't know what's happening here. My voice is all, my mouth is all dry and I got this weird hiccup thing going on. Let me get a little bit of water and then we come back. Let's explain why this triple screen, the triple panel is so important at least once in a person's lifetime, once they hit 18 or above and it can be repeated if they have adverse behavior. So we're going to explain the triple panel in a lot more detail coming up next. ACOG reminds us that all pregnant patients should be screened for hepatitis B viral infection at their first prenatal visit. The hepatitis B surface antigen test can be performed regardless of prior vaccination history. But that's assuming, as we've already stated, that a triple panel screen has already been done at least once. The triple panel, remember, is hepatitis B surface antigen antibody against hepatitis B surface, and total antibody against hepatitis B core. Screening with these three tests called the triple screen or the triple panel is recommended at least one time for all adults to help identify people who have active hepatitis B viral infection and who could be missed because they are in what's called the, the transition window. I'm going to explain that in a minute. That's the time when hepatitis B surface antigen has already cleared, so that's going to be negative, but anti hepatitis B surface antibody has not yet formed. Remember that we said those two are mutually exclusive, okay? So you have first hepatitis B surface antigen that pops up after infection. And then as that resolves, then 
anti-hepatitis B surface pops up. And so there's a, there's a little gap between those two times when the patient could screen negative but still have infection. That's why total anti-hepatitis B core is so important. So the triple panel, once again, hepatitis B surface antigen, anti-hepatitis B surface, and then total anti-hepatitis B core antibody. Now, for those who show up before pregnancy, that's the best time to do the triple panel test. And again, you can just check that box that they've already had that. So patients who come in for preconception counseling, yes, check rubella, check their thyroid, check for diabetes, all that's valid. But remember to check for hepatitis C and this triple panel at least once and then more frequently if they have continued risk factors. But ideally, this should be done again before pregnancy. All right, family, let's go over quickly these antigens and antibodies because it's stuff that we all learned in medical school, nursing school, PA school, whatever school you went to. Um, and it, but it's so easy to forget which one's what, what's, what comes, what rises first, what rises next. So very quickly, we're going to tackle this. And it's going to make a lot of sense. All right. So the first thing that is found serologically is hepatitis B surface antigen. That happens anywhere from about four weeks up to 24 weeks. So four to 24. So one month up to six months after infection. Okay, so it rises up and then comes down. And as it comes down, then anti-hepatitis B surface then starts to pick up. So those are two mountains that don't cross. Right? They don't overlay. All right, so the first mountain, hepatitis B surface antigen, boom, that goes down. And then anti-hepatitis B surface antibody starts to pop up. And that happens around eight months uh, after infection, okay? Or typically uh, about two months after the surface antibody goes down. So there's that gap. And it's that middle area where you can detect infection because their total antibody against the core will be present. Do y'all see that? So technically, you could have a patient who's infected, but her hepatitis B surface antigen is now cleared, but she doesn't have enough uh, antibody against the surface antigen to be detected. You're like, hey, you're good. No, but they're actively infected. So total hepatitis B core antibody pops up pretty quickly after the surface antigen does, all right? So hepatitis B surface antigen is first, and then the antibody against the core pops up, and that's total. So IgM rises up quickly and then falls, and then IgG is sustained, all right? So that's why the triple is super important, looking for the first marker, looking for the second marker, and then the third marker is the, anti, is the antibody anti-hepatitis B surface, all right? Does that make sense? Remember that in vaccinated individuals, they should have anti-hepatitis B surface because that's proof of, of immunity. So anti-hepatitis B surface is detectable in the serum of those who are vaccinated and should not have hepatitis B surface antigen or anti-hepatitis B core because in the vaccine, there's no core uh, antigen uh, so they shouldn't have that antibody. So if you get a vaccine, you should only have anti-hepatitis B surface antibody present, okay? Now, hepatitis B core IgG is only present after natural infection. So the antibody against that core, yes, there's a core antigen, but we don't check for that, all right? The only antigen that we really check for is the surface antigen. So hepatitis B core antigen uh, is not searched for. It's not part of the, of the panel, only the antibody against it. Hepatitis B 
IgG and hepatitis B IgM core antibody only happens in response to natural infection. Right, so everybody good? So, hey, you've got the hepatitis B vaccine. Great. You draw your blood, proof that it worked, that you have a titer, is that you have anti-hepatitis B surface antibody. But if you have hepatitis B surface antigen, then that's proof of active infection. And you're actively infected. You're able to transmit, of course, if you have the E antigen. So the antigens that we're talking about, remember, is the surface antigen and hepatitis B antigen. Those are the main ones that we're looking for here because we do not check for the core antigen, only the antibody against that, which is part of the immune response to naturally acquired infection, not to immunization. All right, everyone, let's start wrapping this up. What about antiviral treatment? Well, for those that are found to be hepatitis B surface antigen positive, then the next thing to get is their viral load, right? You've got to determine how much virus they have in their system. And if they have greater than 200,000 international units per ml of hepatitis B viral DNA or 1 million copies per ml, so it depends what you're looking at, okay? Ooh, that's a great way to really solidify that you know what you're talking about if you ever ask, especially like on the oral boards. So what value, what cutoff would you recommend antiretroviral therapy for hepatitis B in pregnancy? Then you go, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, were, were you talking about international units per ml or a number of copies per ml? Boom. I mean, bam. That's like hardcore. So it's 200,000 international units per ml or 1 million copies per ml. If they have that, then antiviral therapy is recommended to reduce the rate of perinatal transmission. It does not uh, obviate the need for the baby to get the vaccine or HBIG within 12 hours of birth, all right? They still get that. But giving medication starting in the third trimester for patients that have 200,000 uh, international units per ml or 1 million copies per ml definitely can reduce the rate of perinatal transmission. Now, we have to clarify something here, okay? If a patient acquires hepatitis B viral infection during pregnancy, they don't need antiretroviral therapy just because they're infected, okay? Because care there is mainly supportive. Thankfully, most patients tolerate hepatitis B active infection pretty well, even in pregnancy. Uh, and so you're not giving the medication because they're infected. You can just follow them clinically. Uh, you check their LFTs. You check the viral load. Uh, and, and you let the infection kind of uh, clear uh, by itself. However, once the viral load hits those numbers that we just gave, then you give antiviral uh, therapy not to necessarily treat the condition, but to prevent perinatal transmission. Okay, so know why you're you're giving it. You're not giving it just to clear the infection so that she can get better. That she should be fine. In the vast majority of cases, you're giving it to prevent it from from being passed down to the child. The medication that's given, again, preferably at the beginning of the third trimester, is TDF. TDF. That's tenofovir disoproxyl fumarate. Tenofovir disoproxyl 
fumarate. And it is TDF because there's another tenofovir, which is elephantamide. And that's, that's not the main one that's used for hepatitis B in pregnancy. It's a good alternative. But tenofovir elephantamide is really meant uh, for HIV. Okay, so we want to keep that in that house. We want to use it for that indication. But for hepatitis B in pregnancy, at that threshold viral load, then TDF, TDF, tenofovir, disoproxyl, fumarate. That's considered first-line therapy. All right, let's bring this home. Just remember that hepatitis B is not an indication for C-section, obviously. Um, I mean, obviously do things that are uh, evidence-based. Try not to do a scalp electro if you don't have to. Right? Try not to do an amniotomy if you don't have to. Just try to do minimal intervention uh, for infectious uh, precaution anyway. Um, but it's usual precautions, uh, usual indications, I mean, for a C-section. Quick word about hepatitis C. Even though we are making a dent in hepatitis B, we're going the opposite direction with hepatitis C. Remember that those rates are increasing. So it is recommended, as we've already stated, to check in each pregnancy. And unlike hepatitis B, where antiviral medication is recommended in gestation, there is no antiviral medication, direct acting antivirals, that are aimed at hepatitis C in pregnancy. All right. Now, that's the caveat. That's the kind of weird nuance we talked about at the beginning. Yes, you can give meds for hepatitis B, in pregnancy, but it's treatment, not curative. However, yes, there's antivirals that are curative for hepatitis C, but not in pregnancy. What are you going to do? That's a quinky dink. So a quick word for hepatitis C, usual indications, don't have anything that we can give them. Uh, and, and, and of course, we do need to screen each pregnancy. Oh, and a quick thing about breastfeeding. Hepatitis B and hepatitis C are not contraindications for breastfeeding as long as the nipples don't have overt cracks uh, or bleeding, all right? So ACOG says hepatitis B and hepatitis C are, is still okay to breastfeed. All right, everyone, I hope you found that helpful. We have summarized the new clinical practice guidance regarding viral hepatitis, specifically B and C in pregnancy. That's coming out September 2023 from the college. It all perfectly aligns with the CDC's national recommendations. All right, podcast family, we are thankful for you and we're glad that you're part of our podcast community. We'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.